Hey guys, welcome back to the show and thank you so much for tuning in. Today we're going to be talking about the UK's ongoing battle against cultural Marxism. So while I was getting ready for this show and looking through stories, trying to choose which one I wanted to talk about, there are actually several different ones that caught my eye. And I eventually noticed that it just so happened they all related to the UK in some way or another. And eventually I figured, hey, instead of limiting myself by only choosing one story, why not talk about all of them in like a mini UK variety hour. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. And if you watch a lot of political shows, including this one, you may have noticed that we we tend to be a little bit more international here than most. We cover stories that happen in the US, Canada, the UK, Australia, gosh, also, I mean, France, South Africa, Sweden, we, we try to be everywhere, really. And the reason why I do that is because I honestly believe that so many of the social and political problems that modern democracies, especially Western democracies, are facing are kind of all the same. I feel like so many different places are struggling with things like the destruction of the family, feminism, this gender ideology, communism, racial grievance studies. They say that politics is downstream from culture and with the internet connecting pretty much everybody globally and with things like academia and entertainment media really being completely international right now, it does make sense to me at least that a lot of the problems we face might be shared in other countries as well. And don't forget that with things like feminism and Marxism, we're dealing with ideologies and ideologies spread across borders all the time. So for me to be able to address these issues and point to all of the problems that they cause, I really do feel like I need to be able to talk about what's happening in different countries. And it is kind of interesting because so many of the far left issues that we're dealing with today, even though they've started in the States, things like feminism and now this racial grievance study nonsense. Yeah, they start in the States, but I feel like they catch on way quicker in other countries, places like Canada and the UK. And I guess maybe that's because those countries were more left-wing to begin with anyway, but I'd actually like to hear what you all think. Why do you think that these far-left ideologies, many of which have started in the States, are so popular in other places? Let me know. But for today, we're going to be starting off talking about <laughs> diversity training in UK Parliament. You may have heard that President Trump angered a lot of activists by saying that the federal government would no longer be funding or implementing racial sensitivity and diversity training for its employees. And the reason for that, no, isn't because the Trump administration is actually just racist and wants everybody to be racist, is that if you're familiar at all with those anti-racism programs, they actually, strangely enough, contain a lot of racism themselves. They perpetuate a lot of ideas like white privilege that, if you ask me, actually just inflame racial tensions instead of healing them. And here we have this article by Pink News telling us that apparently similar trainings are happening in the UK government as well, but that some of the members of parliament there are refusing to comply to which I say good for them. So the article starts by saying that as many as 40 Tory MPs are refusing to take part in unconscious bias training to root out racist, homophobic, and sexist attitudes in parliament. The progressive workshop, which addresses prejudice people may have absorbed without knowing, was first offered to parliamentary staff in 2016 and recently piloted to MPs. 
It was promptly snubbed by dozens of Tory politicians, including most members of the Conservative Party's European Research Group and Common Sense Group, who accused the House of Commons of pandering to the woke agenda. The idea of unconscious bias or implicit bias is something that we hear the woke crowd talk a lot about, and it pretty much means that you may have bigoted attitudes, whether they be sexist or racist or homophobic, that you're not even aware of yourself. The whole concept really became popular when a bunch of researchers took photos of white people and black people and asked study participants to, as quickly as they could, sort the photos into different groups, like safe and dangerous or friendly versus enemy. The idea was that if a participant slipped up or took longer to decide which category a photo of, for example, a black person belonged in compared to a white person, that was actually indicative that they had a subconscious bias. Since that study came out, though, a lot of people have criticized it, and many have questioned whether those test results would actually quantifiably mean that someone would be more likely to be racist in their everyday lives, which there's been absolutely no proof of. There's been absolutely no link shown between results of an implicit bias test and actual racist attitudes or behaviors in real life. And additionally, even if implicit bias was a real thing, there's also no evidence to show that it's something people can be taught out of. So basically what I'm trying to say is that this unconscious bias training stuff is BS. It shouldn't be funded by taxpayers and these MPs are totally right for refusing to take it. And we have more of the article to get to, but first I wanna tell you about our sponsor, Aslo. So unnecessary fees or taking a trip to your bank is the last thing business owners need to be thinking about. Aslo takes all the friction out of business banking. Instead of insisting you handle your banking as if the internet never existed, Aslo is a free business checking account with invoicing, bill pay, money transfers, no minimum balance, and no fees. Unlike other banking options, there is no minimum deposit required, you'll never be charged maintenance or overdraft fees, and no ridiculous phone system that feels almost like it was designed specifically to waste your time. Instead of the days or weeks it takes to apply for an account, at a traditional bank where you're still required to go in person, by the way. With Aslo, you just go to azlo.com and apply in as little as 10 minutes. There is no waiting to use your account either. With Aslo's free instant funding feature, you can deposit up to $1,000 and access it in your account instantly. Aslo is owned by BBVA USA member FDIC, and because they make business banking easy and offer a fee-free checking account, Money Magazine called them the best business banking option for free freelancers, and entrepreneurs. So sign up right now with no minimum deposit at aslo.com slash Lauren and get a free copy of Aslo's Small Business Starter Guide. Again, that's spelled A-Z-L-O.com slash Lauren and sign up with a free Small Business Starter Guide and no minimum deposit. Again, that's aslo.com slash Lauren. Let me be clear right from the off, I will not be taking it, added Tory MP for Mansfield, Ben Bradley, in a piece for Conservative Home. In my view, we should be unabashed in our cultural conservatism. Sticking up for free speech and the right to make my own bloody mind up, thank you very much, and stepping in to block this unconscious bias nonsense. The sensitivity training would perpetuate the kind of nonsense language that we keep hearing around things like the Black Lives Matter agenda, he warned. As many props as I want to give to these MPs for refusing to bow down to this social justice bullcrap, I do have to wonder, though, why such a program even exists in the first place and why the UK government is implementing it at all? And I think the answer to that is that even though conservatives currently control the UK government, there are still so many faceless bureaucrats in the system 
who love this stuff. And because of incompetence, laziness, or a lack of a backbone, conservatives who might actually be able to do something have just refused to. But on the other hand, Pick News also wrote that Simon Woolley, a leading anti-racism campaigner and crossbench peer, said it is astonishing that any MP would refuse the training and called on party leaders to make it mandatory. For all parliamentarians, this is the lowest hanging fruit to understand our own inbuilt prejudices, he told The Guardian. I am appalled that so many MPs from whatever party would refuse to do this training. I expect all politicians to undertake the unconscious bias training if asked, and hope they would view it as something which should enable them to better do their job. I hear this type of language all the time from social justice advocates. Why wouldn't you want to take a course to learn about how secretly racist you are and how secretly racist really all of society is? What if, though, and I know this is a foreign concept to a lot of the social justice warriors out there, but what if you're actually not racist? What then? Moving along though, our next crazy British story brings us to Kit Harington, who, if you didn't know, was the actor who played Jon Snow on Game of Thrones. He recently gave an interview with The Telegraph where he described his upbringing as being, quote, gender fluid. Remember in high school how so many kids came out as either goth or emo, depending on how old you are? I feel like gender fluid is the new version of that. And now we have so many celebrities trying to retcon their own histories in order to try and fit into this cool new category of people that the media loves talking about. The write-up in The Telegraph reads that, quote, Harrington was brought up in Acton in West London until he was 11 when his family moved to Worcestershire. His father, David, was a businessman and his mother, Deborah, was a playwright, a teacher of creative writing, and now an artist. She also introduced them to gender politics. I asked for a Mighty Max and she bought me a Polly Pocket. I asked for an action man and I got a doll. It was very gender fluid from the word go and I went Went with it, says Harrington. To this day, masculinity and inherited male trauma are the themes that he is most interested in exploring with his work. Playing with a Polly Pocket does not make a little boy gender fluid. That's that's like me saying I was I'm trans because I wore a man's sweatshirt last week. That's not what gender is. I feel like the people who always criticize gender as being a social construct love to enforce the idea that gender is purely a social construct and apparently a very rigid one at that, one so rigid that merely playing with a doll from the other gender's stereotype is enough to make you gender fluid. Harrington continued though that quote, I feel that emotionally men have a problem, a blockage, and that blockage has come from the second world war, passed down from grandfather to father to son. We do not speak about how we feel because it shows weakness, because it is not masculine. Having portrayed a man who was silent, who was heroic, I feel going forward that is a role I don't want to play anymore. It is not a masculine role that the world needs to see much more of. There's often this assumption I see put forward by feminists, including male feminists, that the reason why men tend to be less emotional is because the evil patriarchy instructs them to be so. I think they're under the impression that if it weren't for all of these social constructs that evil men have placed upon our society, then men would be just as emotional as women. 
which is completely not true. There's a question of nurture versus nature here. And I feel like so many of these intersectional feminists or Marxist ideologies like to rely entirely on theories related to nurture. But men across cultures and across history have always been portrayed as being less emotional than women, which makes sense because men have different brains and different hormone levels than women. And I'm not saying that men shouldn't or can't be just as emotional as a woman can be because if if that's you then go for it bro you know you cry your heart out that's completely fine but saying that emotionally men have a problem is just as problematic as saying that men shouldn't have emotions at all it's almost like you're shaming those men out there of whom there are many who just naturally aren't as emotional as women there's nothing wrong with being less emotional and frankly even as a woman i am tired of hearing people tell men they need to act more like women and kit harrington by the way wasn't the only uk celebrity making headlines having to do with gender because J.K. Rowling, our very favorite turf author, was also making feminists mad on Twitter as she so often does nowadays. It all started when she posted a tweet saying, sometimes a t-shirt just speaks to you, and she included a photo of herself in a shirt saying this witch doesn't burn, along with the message from wildwomenworkshop.com in case you know a witch who'd like one. Now to most people, this probably seemed like a completely innocuous tweet and actually probably even a feminist one, you know, reclaiming the term witch and all of that stuff. But there are some people out there who actually bothered to go on the website or perhaps were already familiar with it. And what would you know, that site is apparently a hotbed for TERF paraphernalia. And if you didn't know, TERF does stand for trans exclusionary radical feminists. They're pretty much the feminists out there who don't believe that gender is whatever you identify as. Along with selling shirts like the one JK Rowling was wearing, the site in question also sells things like pins saying trans activism is misogyny, lesbians don't have penises, trans ideology erases women, and female biology is not an identity. They also have pins saying sorry about your dick bro and trans men are my sisters. JK Rowling tweeting or saying anything about gender is always going to be controversial because she, you know, believes that biology and gender are not just social constructs. But this is an especially touchy time for her to do anything turfy because her latest book actually features a serial killer who is a cis man that cross-dresses as a woman. And of course, so many trans activists out there took this as JK Rowling trying to say that all trans women are actually predators. So her releasing this book and then so shortly after promoting this site with all of this turf paraphernalia, I mean, people were just freaking out. And to make matters even worse for JK Rowling, the person who owns the site that she linked to is apparently a notorious anti-trans activist at least according to the people who run Pink News for whatever that's worth. We're going to be reading about it, but first I want to tell you all about Gabby and help you save some money on insurance. So stop overpaying for car and homeowner's insurance right now. See about getting a lower rate for the exact same coverage you already have thanks to Gabby. Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples to apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers, places like Progressive, Nationwide, and Travelers. Just link your current insurance account and in just minutes you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage you already have. Gabby customers save $825 per year on average and if they can't find you savings then at least you can rest easy knowing that 
that you have the best deal out there and they will never sell your info so no annoying spam or robocalls. It's totally free to check Curate and there's no obligation. So take a few minutes right now and stop overpaying for your car and homeowner's insurance. Go to gabby.com slash Lauren. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash Lauren. Again, gabby.com slash Lauren so they know that our show sent you. And getting back to the story, according to Pink News, the site Wild Women Workshop is run by Angela C. Wild, a co-founder of the anti-trans lesbian separatist group Get the L Out. The organization is best known for hijacking Pride in London 2018, a demonstration followed by similar protests at Swansea and Manchester Prides in 2019. At all three Prides, members of Get the L Out, which claims to stand against any kind of misogynistic politics and systems that prioritize men's interests, including queer politics and transgenderism, maneuvered their way to the front of the parade. Pride in London later apologized and condemned the protesters, whose behavior they described as shocking and disgusting and showing a level of bigotry, ignorance, and hate that is unacceptable. Kit Harrington calls his upbringing gender fluid because he played with a Polly Pocket at one point and all of a sudden the media is portraying him as this sweet, sensitive, enlightened person. Meanwhile, J.K. Rowling buys a shirt from a website that happens to also sell pins that say lesbians don't have penises and that pretty much makes her a Nazi. I think that really goes to show just how far left the public discourse on gender issues has gotten. You may or may not disagree with things that J.K. Rowling has said in the past, and you may or may not like her writing, but saying that lesbians don't have penises or that being female is not just an identity, that those shouldn't be controversial statements. And the thing is, I don't think that acknowledging the reality of biological sex even needs to mean you hate trans people or you're against them or you don't want them to have rights or anything like that. You can acknowledge the realities of biological sex and gender while still being respectful to trans people and acknowledging that they do have a medical condition. Like these things aren't in conflict with each other. And the effort that the trans lobby is currently making to tie their cause with the complete abolition of gender and sex, it's, I think, really short-sighted and ultimately gonna end up backfiring on them. I used to think that the goal for trans activists was being treated fairly and being able to seek the appropriate medical help, but now it seems that they've tried to turn their entire crusade into being able to identify as whatever they want, whenever they want, with no input from the medical community at all. And actually, this leads perfectly into the final story I wanted to touch on from Vice. As they reported this week, quote, the government, in the UK of course, will not reform the Gender Recognition Act to make it easier for trans people to change their legal gender despite a public consultation response that largely supported reforms, the Women and Equality Minister Liz Truss has confirmed. In a statement released this morning, the Equalities Office said that reforms suggested in 2018 under Theresa May's government, such as removing the need for a gender dysphoria diagnosis for those wishing to change their legal gender, will not go ahead as the current legislation is correct. So from what I understand, and bear in mind I am no expert on this particular subject, but the Gender Recognition Act in the UK was a series of procedures that people would need to go through if they wanted to be able to change their gender on things like their driver's license or passport. But a lot of LGBT activists weren't happy with the GRA because they claimed that it made it too difficult for trans people to transition to their preferred gender. 
As Vice continues, the reforms to the GRA sought to make it quicker and less medically invasive for trans people to self-identify. Under the current system, trans people seeking to change the sex specified on their birth certificate must apply for a gender recognition certificate from a panel of doctors and lawyers costing 140 pounds and prove that they have lived as their acquired gender for two years. They must also provide two gender dysphoria diagnoses from different medical professionals. If you ask me, those requirements don't sound too outrageous for someone to be able to actually change the sex on their birth certificate. You pretty much have to appear in front of a panel of doctors and lawyers, uh, prove that you've lived as your preferred gender for two years, and get two different diagnoses of gender dysphoria from medical professionals. I mean, I, I understand that that's that's an added stress for some people, but the alternative, just being able to show up at a government office, much like I think Lauren Southern did in one of her older videos and say, hey, I'm a man, recognize me as such. I mean, there needs to be at least some form of gatekeeping, I think. And, and like I mentioned in a previous video, this whole question of being able to change your gender or sex on government documents, it really does call into question why government documents even have our gender and sex in the first place. The reason why your driver's license does have a bunch of information about yourself, like your height, your weight, your eye color, and your gender, is because it makes you easier to identify and it's also medically relevant information. And so from from that perspective, it makes sense for the government documents that you have to list what you actually are, not what you feel like. I'm doing a really bad job of explaining what I mean, but basically my driver's license says that I'm five foot seven because it's easy to identify me based on my height. My driver's license doesn't say that my favorite color is blue because, I mean, that's not really useful information. Similarly, my driver's license saying that my sex is female is also useful information. My driver's license hypothetically saying that on Thursdays I feel like a two-spirit otherkin, that's not useful. I hope that kind of makes sense as to why I think that no self-identification alone should not be enough to determine what gender you are on things like your passport or driver's license. And just more broadly than that, you can't even change your address on your driver's license without having some sort of official documentation. So, I mean, I would assume that yes, changing your entire gender should be more complicated than that. Vice continued though that according to a report on the outcome of the government's GRA consultation, which took place in 2018 and received over 100,000 submissions, the majority of respondents agreed with the reforms. Nearly two thirds said that there should not be a requirement for a gender dysphoria diagnosis for those wishing to change their legal gender, while 80% were in favor of removing the need for a medical report. The majority of respondents, 78.6%, also supported removing the requirement for individuals to prove they had lived as their gender for a period of time. Now, when I first saw those numbers, at first I was kind of surprised. I thought, wow, I had no idea the general UK population was so accepting of the idea of gender purely based on self-identification. But I also thought, hey, you know what? If, if they really do think and feel that way, then maybe the laws in their country should reflect that. But then I actually looked into the report that this article cites and uh, yeah, I, 
I have some issues. According to the government study that the article cites, quote, during the course of the consultation, three external organizations, Stonewall, Level Up, and Fair Play for Women, set up their own online forms which could be completed by respondents and automatically submitted by email to GEO. These alternative forms accounted for 64% of submissions compared to 36% that were submitted through official government channels. Essentially, what that means is that some of the responses for this survey were gathered by external organizations. And you might be wondering, huh, I wonder what type of external organizations the government chose to work with for a survey such as this. I wonder how they try to ensure that their subject pool would be as representative as possible of the general UK population. Well, as it turns out, they didn't care about that at all, about trying to make their survey representative of the beliefs of the British population as a whole. And instead, they went to actual activist organizations to help them get data. The first organization they partnered with Stonewall is an LGBT charity. And the next group, Level Up, is described as a feminist organization. And finally, Fair Play for Women is apparently a women's campaign group. So really what this study found out is that most LGBT activists and feminists believe that it should be easier to identify as trans with the government, which is in no way news or useful information. And the truth is, despite how evil and bigoted the trans lobby is trying to make the Tory government appear, they are still actually doing a lot of things for trans individuals. And we're gonna be talking about what those things are right after I tell you all about Laurel Springs. So this year, 2020 has been crazy. And with the pandemic and everything, so many families are trying homeschooling for the first time. And while you may be enjoying the concept of homeschooling, you might also be feeling like you maybe need some help with your lesson plans. And that is where Laurel Springs comes in. If distance learning is anything like it was last year, you know you need a proven solution. That is why Laurel Springs is here. With nearly 30 years of experience in distance education, Laurel Springs is the expert in online learning. From kindergarten through 12th grade and beyond, Laurel Springs student-centered experience is a framework for each learner's path and pace. In addition, Laurel Springs offers specialized programs for academically driven students desiring advanced and accelerated instruction through its academy at Laurel Springs, as well as postgraduate courses for those seeking an enriching gap year experience. And since Laurel Springs is fully accredited, their transcripts are recognized by colleges and universities worldwide. So take control of your child's education. Enroll today at laurelsprings.com unleashed and receive a waived registration free fee. That's laurelsprings.com unleashed for a waived registration fee. Again, and laurelsprings.com slash unleashed. So as even Vice acknowledges, the government will introduce some changes to the GRA. It will move the process of applying for a gender recognition certificate online and will reduce the fee from 140 pounds to a nominal amount. And all of that is in addition to three, I think it is new trans medical centers that they're going to be building and funding. You know, I often make fun of the UK for just being so far down the path of wokeness, especially in comparison to places like the US and frankly, even in comparison to places like Canada. I mean, you know, they have actual internet police monitoring your tweets. That is completely dystopian. But I I've got to say, I've got to hand it to the Brits this time around. Every single 
single one of the stories we covered today does kind of have a silver lining. Yes, there is mandatory implicit bias training, but hey, at least some MPs are speaking out about it. Sure, people like Kit Harrington are going on about their gender-fluid childhoods, even though that's, it wasn't gender fluid, but at least people like J.K. Rowling still feel empowered enough to speak up about the fact that biological sex is not a made-up thing. It's actually quite, quite real. And it's true that most LGBT activists and feminists think you should just be able to walk up to the driver's license bureau. DMV, whatever it is in the UK, and say, hey, I'm a different gender, please change my license, but at least the government is maintaining some sort of requirements for people to, I don't know, not be able to change their sweaters like they change their jumpers, and I am still, unfortunately, pretty pessimistic about what the future in the UK is going to look like, along with the rest of the West, if I'm being honest, but at least this proves that there are still Brits out there who have some sanity and are willing to just push back against this Marxist craziness that seems to be infesting every single institution. That's pretty much all I have to say for now, but as always, I would love to know what you all think about all of these stories. And if you are in the UK yourself, please let me know. Are these type of woke sentiments that we see all the time in the media from the UK common among most British people, or is it just a case of a small vocal minority trying to push their own agenda down other people's throats? Let me know, but that's it for now. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.